Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Well, today, Karen and I have a very, very special guest with us, someone who you definitely will have come across if you've ever Googled anything to do with narcissistic personality disorder. So we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by internationally renowned licensed psychologist, Dr. Eleanor Greenberg. Dr. Greenberg specializes in teaching psychotherapists across the globe how to diagnose and treat those with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as those with borderline and schizoid adaptations. She's a member of the New York Institute for Gestalt Therapy, and she's on the faculty of the Gestalt Center for Psychotherapy and Training. And she's an associate editor of Gestalt Review, which is a peer-reviewed professional journal. Dr. Greenberg has been in this field for a very long time indeed, graduating in psychology way back in 1970 and receiving her PhD in 1979. Eleanor is the author of the book Borderline, Narcissistic and Schizoid Adaptations, The Pursuit of Love, Admiration and Safety. And she's a prolific writer on the subject of personality disorders for the general public, including on Quora.com and on PsychologyToday.com. Most impressive of all is that Dr. Greenberg has played a major role in increasing the general public's understanding and awareness of narcissistic personality disorder on a worldwide scale, arguably more than anyone else in the field. So, Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for contacting me and offering me this other public opportunity to help some more people and possibly do some educating about some topics that can be difficult to read because they're incredibly boring in the usual way they're written. And there's a lot of jargon. It took me a long time to learn the jargon. It was like learning a foreign language. (laughs) I'm a Gestalt therapist. However, I also got certified in Masterson's Object Relations Developmental Disorders of the Self Approach to all three major personality disorders. And I'm a certified Ericksonian hypnotherapist, Mm -hmm. a certified group psychotherapist. I get a lot of certifications. And I'm a psychology consultant to the Tarot School of New York. 
mm-hmm. where they found that they needed a personality disorder specialist because many people were coming to tarot readers for advice instead of a psychotherapist. How interesting. Now, here's the first thing that most people want to know uh-huh. about narcissism. What's the difference between someone with narcissistic traits or healthy narcissism, if there's such a thing, and narcissistic personality disorder? So I think that's a good place to start with a basic definition so that listeners can understand and follow along and know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, the reason I studied object relations is they had a very clear answer to that question that I had been looking for. Because I was puzzled, just like the rest of the general public. I said, well, why is this thing called a neurosis and that thing's called a personality disorder? And the object relations people say that basically if you have whole object relations and object constancy, you don't have a personality disorder. Now, forget the jargon here. It's really awful. People always ask me, what does that mean? So I'll just explain it very simply. Around the age of three or four, children start to integrate if they're given enough support, their views of people as realistic and more integrated, not all good, not all bad. Before then, you'll see a little kid lose it in a tantrum going, I hate you, mommy. Whereas 20 minutes earlier, you're the best mommy in the world. That is splitting. We're used to it from two-year-olds. I have two grandchildren who are three and five, and and that's exactly how they are. Um, So it's really interesting to watch that at their their age. Exactly. So what it requires to get it is parents who have it, who treat you in a nuanced way, who when you do something bad, don't treat you as if you're all bad and and don't, don't act like they hate you. And I can usually get how nuanced the parents are by asking one simple question. When you were a little kid and you spilled the milk or your juice when you were at the table with other people, what did the other people do? What did your caretaker, your mommy or your daddy do? And the nicest answer was they said, oh, honey, let me help you. We'll clean it up together. I'll get the paper towels. You get on the floor, let's wipe it up. Spills happen. That's not a big deal. And we'll fix it together. The worst answer was, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You're clumsy. Go to your room. You're doing without dinner. I, you know, an unnuanced, all bad reaction that characterizes the kids. So if the parents can say something kind of normal, they can get aggravated or annoyed that the child spilled the milk, but the child isn't banished. It's not like one minute they're hugging this kid and telling it, you're my little darling. And the next minute you're a miserable kid and I hate you go to your room. So Mm -hmm. we're set up to, if we're fairly neurologically intact, we're going to develop whole object relations. If we're treated in a nuanced way that respects the fact that we can do bad things that doesn't make us bad. So you can do bad things, but still be loved. And the, the parent accepts that the child is a blend of good and bad traits at the same time. That's right. And sometimes the parent is going to dislike what the kid is doing and feel angry. But if you have whole object relations, you can remember 
that you love the person, this is called object constancy, that you can remember while you're angry, disappointed, hurt, frustrated, or physically distanced from the person, that you have good feelings for them and you can remember your positive history. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that you will have noted about narcissists and by that, I mean people with narcissistic personality disorder, is when they're angry or disappointed with their partner, they hate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The partner mm -hmm. becomes the enemy. That's what's going on. Most of the abuse in narcissistic relationships comes through two things. From an object relations point of view, all people with personality disorders, by definition, lack whole object relations and object constancy. Um, narcissists, in addition, totally lack emotional empathy for the most part, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. can be taught yeah. some after a bit. And so when you get a combination of not being able to access the positive memories, you could have had 20 years with someone and people have been left after asking for um, what do you call it? A recommitment ceremony. Yeah. I have people in my practice who were asked to do a recommitment ceremony by their narcissistic husband, went through it and he was cheating on them. And that's very common, isn't it? I'm always quite suspicious of those um, ceremonies, to be honest. I think it signals or flags a kind of issue in the relationship. I have the same response as you do. I won't say everyone because I think some people are celebratory the ups and downs of the relationship. But I, I have enough of clients married to narcissists to know that doesn't mean a thing. But also a narcissist will put their life into separate categories so they can reestablish a relationship with one person. It, it doesn't matter at all that they're continuing other relationships with other people because they're totally separate. One doesn't overlap with the other. If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. Well, that's true, but I also know narcissists who um, will not cheat, believe it or not. That's not their problem. I know quite a few personally where that's not their problem. So going back to just the definition. So when I'm talking about narcissistic personality disorder, which is all I'm going to be talking about, the full personality disorder, for short, I'm going to say narcissist, narcissistic, etc. But that's what I mean. Now, Having narcissistic traits is simply doing things that also characterize most normal people do them occasionally, but they're called narcissistic traits because narcissists rely on them. That's their whole ball of wax, you know, their whole set of implements on narcissistic traits. So I'm talking about things like self-centeredness, blame shifting, lots of people shift blame, but it's almost ubiquitous with narcissists that if you're living with them, you're going to get devalued. Now, other people devalue people, but 
all narcissists, in my experience, with maybe the exception of a couple of very high-functioning closet narcissistic disorders, you're going to be devalued. You live with a narcissist, you're close enough, you work for a narcissist, um, that eventually they will get to know you. And so normal people devalue people, but it's mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. called a narcissistic trait, or I consider it a narcissistic trait, because if I look at any group of narcissists and say, well, what am I going to find for sure? <laughs> it's going to be a batch of traits like total self-centeredness, lack of emotional empathy, mm -hmm. um, it, it, certain characteristics, blame shifting, gaslighting. Now, are they the only people that gaslight? I don't think so. Lenny Bruce described it years ago, the comedian, I don't know if you knew him, yeah. and he was advising, he had a very risque and very politically incorrect show, and he was always being arrested because of it, but his goal was to, to poke fun at racism and things like that, but not every, and, sex, and different sexualities and prohibitions. But he used to say, men, if you're caught cheating, deny it. I don't care if they catch you in the act and you're going up and down on her body. Deny it, deny it, deny it. <laughs> and that's gaslighting. Yeah. Tell them they're crazy, that they don't understand what they saw. And to me, that's a classic gaslighting. So when I talk about narcissistic traits, I'm not talking about things that the rest mm -hmm. of us don't mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about things that are very common for narcissists, less common for people who are not narcissists. Well, that's an important thing. What about projection there, Eleanor? That's another thing. Everybody projects, don't they? But narcissists are master projectors. That's right. They are, you know, there's a, it, having a personality disorder is like wearing a suit of armor. Mm. It has a protective function. Children don it in childhood for its protective value. But like all armor, it limits our flexibility. It limits what can reach us, good and bad. So it's very hard to change while you're wearing this armor that's set to deflect everything and make it about someone else's cause. So when you get projection, it's because it's bouncing off the armor. When you get it with a normal person, it's a normal way of handling anxiety. And by definition, psychological defense mechanisms in the way that therapists mean them are unconscious. Mm -hmm. So if you're aware that you're projecting on someone, that's a very different story than just projecting. You know, it's really interesting. You, you've talked about defenses, narcissistic defenses there and how, you know, narcissism is, is like wearing a suit of armour. I once had a sort of run in with a psychologist about grandiosity. I was sort of saying that grandiosity was a narcissistic defence. They were using it as a defence. They were hiding behind it, essentially. And that was what it was for. She was saying, no, they just are grandiose. And that's it. It's not. Oh, so no, so no. Was I right? You were right. And I want to hear it from Dr. Eleanor Greenberg. You were right. There's three basic subtypes of narcissists that are usually identified. I'm using James F. Masterson's system, more or less. Of uh, I studied at the Masterson Institute for many years. I went on faculty. I was invited to write a chapter on Masterson's approach for one of the books that came out by him and the faculty. And so um, you have the exhibitionist narcissist. It's what we think of with grandiosity. Yeah. I'm going to say Boris Johnson here to you because it's very topical at the moment. <laughs> well, we in the U.S. had our own measures of, of grandiose narcissism to look at. <laughs> and I developed a, a mnemonic 
to describe the exhibitionist only defense and you will find that you, uh, it fits what you're saying. I call it the God defense. When I'm teaching, I'm trying to make this simpler. The reason we don't have more experts in narcissism, why your people are having trouble finding someone that knows what to do with somebody who has uh, trying to divorce a narcissist and really understand what they're up against is because the books written on it by the experts are so hard and jargon filled. Mm. Masterson, who he was born in 1926 and died in 2010, um, had an excellent way of describing these things. So I liked his because he divided into exhibitionist, mm-hmm. closet, and what he called devaluing, but I would call malignant narcissist or toxic narcissist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the closet narcissist, what he wrote an entire book on called The Emerging Self. They, and why this is important is a lot of people use the words overt and covert. And they think all the narcissists are malignant. It just isn't true. Mm. So going yeah. back to what I said about the exhibitionist, and I can explain the other later, is the God defense, which I made to really simple to understand and remember, is grandiosity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. omniscience or omnipotence, mm-hmm. and devaluing. Those three together. When I see those three together, grandiosity, Omniscience is I know everything, you know, that's all the mansplaining. I I know what you need to do with your womb, with yourself. That's omniscience. Uh You know, I know everything. That's the advice that you get that you didn't ask for and that you didn't want. And the the wrong things that are said in a confident tone. Yes, yes. I'm I'm thinking about Donald Trump here. I know better than anyone about wind i know better than anyone about bleach those are the sort of statements he would make exactly uh-huh. when you look at the stance the, the favorite thing to do is to give advice to 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 just talk and to an admiring audience or people who they think are admiring audience the exhibitionist if you stand there admiring them they will talk forever yeah and that will be sufficient they don't have to hurt you as long as you're admiring yeah yeah and then the valuing is well, I get to where well, I'm hierarchical. The only thing that counts is people of high status. And the only status is what I say is important as the status. So it could be intelligence. It could be social status, mm-hmm. money, power, political power. It could be the size of your thighs. It could be the length of your nose, the color of your skin. Whatever I decide is high status. Yeah. And I suck up to those above me and try and reach their level. I compete with those who presume to be at my level to the death to get them below me. And if you're below me, I'm free to do whatever I want with you. If I'm angry with you, I can devalue you. If I'm bored, I can mock Mm -hmm. you. If I publicly humiliate you, that's okay too, because I'm so far above you, I have the right to do whatever I want. I bet that you have a relative who is a covert. I will give odds that most of us have met a covert, toxic, real malignant narcissism. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Malignant narcissism involves sadism. First of all, I know a movie you've seen probably that the hero in this rom com is actually a malignant narcissist. Pretty woman. Yeah. Yeah. Edward, who takes over older men's companies and he's shown gloating because he takes it apart and he hates his father, he gets no better pleasure than destroying other men's companies. He takes a sadistic delight. It's an imaginary yeah. hit on to his father as well each time he does it. He has no friends 
and he marries a prostitute. She will never be his equal in education, intelligence, or wherewithal. His one friend in the movie is a miserable human being and is less a friend than, you know, someone who will accept the ugliness that he does. Mm-hmm. The point about the Richard Gere character is really interesting because about people's reaction to that character, because some people really, really warm to him and think he's, you know, he's great yeah. and he's everybody's perfect man, whereas other people find him quite sinister um, and actually think that she didn't do very well to end up with him at the end of the movie. And so I, I think it's a really interesting test as to how people regard that character. Exactly. Yes. So not that he really says it, but that's a good, that's forgetting the the fairy tale ending. Yes, and it's turned me off from Richard Gere forever. For the malignant narcissist, they want to destroy you, humiliate you. That's their main source of narcissistic supplies. Mm -hmm. They enjoy it. It's not just that they enjoy it because they're getting back at you because you interrupt their their admiration. They enjoy it because they're sadists. Mm Mm -hmm. I've given you the overt malignant narcissist and the covert one I call sweet aunt Sally. You know, you go over your dear elderly aunt's house to bring her some cookies because you feel guilty. She lives alone. She's aging. And you come to the door with her favorite cookie, you know, and you've been invited. You've called and said you were coming over and she answers the door and just looks at you. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, maybe she's just old and forgotten. That doesn't feel very good, but she's old. You know, she's my sweet Aunt Sally. And she says, what's that you're carrying? Well, I brought you your favorite cookies. You brought me my favorite cookies. Are you trying to kill me? I'm a, I have diabetes. I'll die if I eat them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Well, you would know if you came more often. Yeah. Did anyone ever tell you stripes make you look a little too fat? You'll do yourself a favor and you'll, you know, maybe you'll find a man if you change the way you dress. Have another slice of cake. (laughs) That's a straight out malignant narcissist. Yeah. You leave these people, if they're covert like that, and I'm using covert only as an adjective Uh to being less obvious, is you, you leave from that relative's house or if you sit next to her at a dinner and you always feel worse and uneasy. But you have nothing to really pin it on because she's not acting straightforward about it. So you see what I mean? I think it's really important, actually, to make that point. I agree with you in that I think that the Masterson definitions are much better than the overt covert because all narcissistic behaviors, they don't they don't do it really obvious. They do that. It's kind of covert. It's covert psychological abuse. It's not really, really obvious. They're not telling you that they're abusing you. So it's all covert, really. And so I don't think it's helpful, particularly helpful, whereas I think closet exhibitionist and malignant or, or devaluing is a much better way of categorizing it. And that answers, you know, the overt or covert. To me, it's incredibly overt. But to somebody who's not, who isn't trained to make these distinctions, they don't see anything. Uh-huh. Closet narcissist, as defined by Masterson, is, and there's been other names for it. Paul Wink in 1991 wrote an article on the vulnerable narcissist as opposed to the exhibitionist. So there's different words for it, but he 
was pretty much talking about the same group that Masterson is talking about under closet. And they are more neurotic in the sense that they're more insecure. They're more overt in their expressing insecurity about themselves generally. And they're afraid to be in the spotlight. It makes them feel exposed and vulnerable. Masterson taught me those words because very often my client will come in and use those exact words, exposed and vulnerable, when I question about something. If they say they're afraid of being exposed and vulnerable, they're likely to turn out to be a closet narcissist, not an exhibitionist, and not a malignant. And exposed in what sense? Exposed as a fake. I don't know as much as I want to know I, am, I admire the exhibitionists because I assume they know and they have this fabulous confidence. They don't see the lack of confidence and self-esteem underlying it. And so uh, here I am, I'm in this dilemma. I wanna be special. I wanna be admired, but I don't want the spotlight on me. So they come up with very creative solutions. The most common is, you know, all those people that tell you you should worship their method of worship, yeah. their God. My God is better than your God, or you should go to my dentist. I have the best dentist in the whole world. They are comfortable saying, pointing to someone or something else or religion, an object, design of clothing, and saying, admire this. This is worthy of admiration, as long as it's not direct. Now, I'm going to give you another movie reference, which is Beaches. Bette Midler's song in Beaches called The Wind Beneath the Winds. Yes. Yes. Actually, I use songs when I teach therapists. I have playlists. Of, and that's my closet narcissist fantasy song. If you actually read the lyrics, it's like a fantasy for the closet narcissist who's in the dark in the wind beneath my wings, who never gets the credit. And it's saying that without you, I couldn't do all of this. Yeah. And what they want is they will often pick a mentor or a special person Sometimes you have the the secretary to the great man. We had that with Nixon. I sort of always refer to that as them basking in the reflected specialness of someone else. That's right. And they get their status from the person they work for or who they marry or who Mm -hmm. their best friend is Mm -hmm. or their religion or objects of clothing. All my narcissists can use design of clothing sometimes, but some take the opposite. I'm so special because I don't wear design of clothing. Yes. You can reverse it. And that's Masterson's definition of a typical way a closet narcissist will get narcissistic supplies. Mm-hmm. The exhibitionists will confront you directly. Yeah. They're the ones that scream at the waiter, the ones that say devaluing things on the street, which are kind of strange about other people's clothing style. Just shocking things that are cruel that could be overheard. Yes. And they just yes. simply don't care because of the God defense. They're, they're, they're entitled. And you're, you're part of the devalued group because I say you are. Looking at the closets as well, we sort of found, certainly in the area of family law, they tend to use their children. They'll say that their children have got sort of illnesses or, you know, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. They'll get that kind of attention and that specialness in really covert, sneaky ways by making stuff up or, or hamming up things um, to do with their children. Yeah. I had a client who came to me when she was quite young and um, she since she died young too. And she was quite magnificent. She was so talented and she had already had success. And she was a nice person. I don't know why she wanted to come into therapy with me. I was a very young therapist, but something made her comfortable. And I also did group therapy. 
And she did quite well in therapy. And she had a narcissistic disorder of some kind. She was very self-conscious. She was beautiful by pretty much anyone's standards. The group enjoyed her because she was the beauty that they always envied and they never got to see what was inside. And here she was when she sat normally in a chair, her stomach pooched a little. Well, it has to, you're spending at the waist. She hated it and would hold in her stomach and talk about that. And so they got to see how even this person who has money, success, a beauty, a good figure, is so insecure. So it's very healing for everybody. She, for being able to talk about it with real people, but she turned out, which I didn't know, to be the golden child in her family. After she died, some years later, her mother contacted me and said, I have a problem now, and I believe you can help me with it. You were so wonderful with my daughter. And I said, what is it? I thought she wanted therapy or something. And she says, well, now that so-and-so is gone, She was going to be the flagship that was going to bring our family into greatness. But now she's gone. Her younger sister, who is awkward and wears overalls and isn't particularly uh, ambitious, I need you to fix her and make her into her older sister because she's the next one who will have to bring our family into greatness. Yeah, I mean, how dysfunctional is that? My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.